Hi, this is Neil Satin, the host of Relationship Alive. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say that if you find this podcast helpful, please consider making a donation to help support the podcast. You can do that by visiting neilsatin.com slash support or texting the word support to the number 33444 and following the instructions. And you can choose any level that feels right to you. Thank you so much in advance for your help in ensuring that this podcast can continue. I also wanted to mention that if you haven't picked it up yet already, you can grab my free uh, top three relationship communication secrets. These are communication tips that you can incorporate easily into how you communicate with your partner, and they're based specifically on things that will help you grow closer and more connected to your partner, even if you're communicating about something challenging. You can get that by visiting neilsatin.com relate or texting the word relate to the number 33444 and following the instructions. All right, on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. On the show, over and over again, we've addressed issues at the core of how to do relationship well. And nothing is quite as important as how we communicate with each other. And there are a number of skills that you can learn to improve your communication and ways that you can learn to perceive what's actually going on within you so that what you communicate actually is generative and has meaning and can take your relationship somewhere. One of the largest game changers in how we communicate uh, came about uh, from Marshall Rosenberg with his nonviolent communication, which we may refer to in this show as NVC. And today's episode is all about learning how to use not only nonviolent communication, but as you'll see, a form of embodied nonviolent communication that can totally transform how you see what you're communicating about, how you see your partner, and your ability to collaborate on a relationship that actually meets your needs, meets your partner's needs, and leaves everyone feeling all the much better for that. We're going to have a detailed show guide as usual. You can get that if you visit neilsatin.com slash rivers, and you'll know why it's rivers in just a moment. Or you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions and we'll get you a guide to today's show. So today's esteemed guest is Max Rivers. Max is a marriage mediator, and he and his partner developed a form of mediation that's all about helping couples in conflict come to the table and and their uh, huge struggles, and also see conflict as an opportunity for connection. And you've heard me talk about that over and over again on the show. And you're going to learn today why Max's model is so effective at doing just that. So uh, without any further ado, Max Rivers, thank you so much for being here with us today on Relationship Alive. Thank you, Neil. Looking forward to it. Awesome. I also want to just mention where, while we're here at the top of the show, 
that you have a new book coming out. It may or may not be out at the time that this episode is released, but if not, it will be soon thereafter. We will have a link to the book in the show guide. And uh, I was lucky enough to get a draft copy, and I think it will really be transformative for you um, in terms of changing the way that you see how communication works in your relationships. So, And we're going to dive into that today. So, Max, perhaps we could start out with why, why marriage mediation? I, don't, I think that's something people don't tend to think about. It, we're having trouble. Don't we go to a couples therapist? Why, why would we go to a mediator? Yeah, well, the overarching issue is when a couple are fighting and half of all marriages end because people can't resolve their fights, but certainly many of the couples that stay together still are fighting. The question is, do they have a psychological problem or is their problem they don't understand how to deal with conflict? And what I found over the last 15 years of applying mediation to couples conflict, it turns out it's much faster to work on teaching couples conflict skills than going into the psychological phenomenon that brought the conflict about to begin with. And the way that we really discovered that, Elise, my wife and I, is while we were dating, we took a mediation training together. She had been a lawyer and wasn't using her skills. And so she was interested in trying that with me. And although we were at the beginning of our relationship, we were just engaged and our conversation was pretty good, we were amazed at how well our relationship started to go after we learned the skills of mediation. And so as we developed that process inside of our relationship, we saw how valuable this could be for other couples and started to develop a process for how to teach this to couples, how to teach the skill of kind of self-mediation to couples. And what do you notice about couples who learn these skills? What, what are some of the transformations that you see occurring? Well, the first thing that happens in the very first session, most couples who come to me have done between two and four years of couples counseling, and they don't seem to have gotten anywhere in forward motion because they still don't really understand how to deal with conflict. And so in the first session, and I guarantee my first session, I'm so sure that just the switch out of um, the therapeutic process, which in most couples ends up with them diagnosing each other and judging each other, the switch from that to understanding how to create win-win solutions, how both parties need to get out of the idea that the, there's something wrong with the other party or that the other party's wrong in what they're saying and work toward resolution, which our definition of resolution is everybody communicating their needs clearly, identifying what they are, communicating them, and everyone getting their needs satisfied. And so in the first session, I pick one or two of the items that couples start out with and in 15, 20 minutes, I can identify what the needs are, do a quick negotiation so that both parties can see that without changing partners and without their partners changing, they can actually get their needs met 
And at the end of the first session, it's fun for me to say, okay, so this was a guaranteed session. Did this have any value? And consistently, couples say, I feel like a huge weight has been lifted off my shoulders. Awesome. So everyone gets their needs met. Can we talk for a moment about what do you mean by needs? Because isn't that the problem with people in conflict, that their, their needs are incompatible on some level? Well, that is the way that we talk about needs in the public. The wonderful thing which Marshall Rosenberg added to the conversation is this idea he came up with that everything that motivates us in what we say and in what we do are what he called universal human needs. And they have certain qualities. One of them is they're always positive in their intention. Another is that they're life-affirming. And another is that they are the truth of the person speaking. They're the relative truth, but they're the, the definitive truth of each person. And so we're not talking about wants. We're not talking about what you don't want. We're not talking about behaviors. Needs don't actually refer to other people. We're talking about what your deep truth is and where your existential satisfaction lies. And so when I say both parties are satisfied, I don't mean they got their way. I don't mean that it ends up looking the way they expected it to look. I mean that we've dropped down out of the story and the judgments that people tend to have about each other, especially if they're in conflict, down into their own deepest truth. Another way of saying that is into their heart's desire which is an embodied experience. So we're not talking about something that happens inside your head that you think about. We're talking about an understanding, a felt sense of what's true for you. And when both parties are able to drop down into this embodied sense of what their deep truth is and share that with each other, first of all, it creates instant intimacy. You've probably heard the saying that the word intimacy can be broken into the sentence, in to me you see. And so if you let the other person see deeply into your heart's desire and you show curiosity and interest in their heart's desire, you've got about 90% of the job done. Um, I actually got into this business because I'm very good at solving problems and I never get to do it. Because once all the needs are laid out on the table, there's kind of this alchemical thing that happens that basically any two people with open minds and open hearts can solve any problem that comes in front of them. So the problem with conflict isn't that the situation is too complicated or like you said, that their needs are in conflict because needs are never in conflict. Universal human needs aren't. If I, if I have one desire and you have a different one, that's just what's true about the two of us. So help, help me, let's get a little more clear on if I want to distinguish like one of, a need of mine and I want to know that it's a universal human need, um, what's a way that I can get, get at it um, more clearly? So one of the ways that embodied NVC works is Marshall said that 
needs don't communicate to us through words. They communicate to us through feelings, which is one of the important contributions that he made. So other people don't cause our feelings, Marshall said. Our feelings are caused by our needs. Our needs use, he said, feelings to communicate to us. But what, what I would say is that needs use bodily sensations to communicate to us. So when we say the word feeling, we generally mean a feeling name, which I consider a mental process, coming up with a name for what it is we're experiencing. And that's not as important in my process as identifying what it is you're experiencing. So for instance, if the way that I'm communicating right now is really exciting you and satisfying you, then you're going to be experiencing the need maybe for contribution or for having a, a great show today in your body as satisfying feelings, feeling upbeat and energetic. If the way that I'm talking isn't working for you, you would have a different set of sensations. And if you took your attention off of me and dropped down into your body and breathed into those sensations and asked yourself, so what is alive in me right now? That's a way of getting in touch with the universal human need that the situation is stimulating but not causing, which is another important distinction that we make with universal human needs. So if you walk by a restaurant and has a great smell coming out of it, you may suddenly realize that you're hungry, which is a universal human need for nourishment. The smell didn't cause your need for nourishment. Your body caused that by it not being fed for a certain amount of time. But the smell stimulated your awareness that you have that need in an unsatisfied state right now. And so that's the way, that's one of the ways that you can identify what it is that you're needing. It's not what you're thinking, it's what you're feeling. Okay, and let's say, um, I don't know why this example is coming to me, but let's say one partner is thinking like, or I need, like I need you to give me some space. Like I need you to get off my back. You're always like harping on me. And right. I just need to breathe. Um, is there is there a way of clarifying a need in a situation like that, where it feels like like the need is somehow mixed in with a request? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, in English, you can use the word need when you're not talking about a universal human need, as you just did then. Mm -hmm. So I, the sentence "I need you." is clearly not a need because needs don't refer to other people. So what I'm hearing is that that person is needing space, that they're needing peace and serenity, and that the way the other person is communicating with them isn't adding to their sense of well-being. So they're, they've said some things about the other person. I need you to get off my back which is violent communication and is going to be received by the other person who's, remember, also motivated by these beautiful, life-affirming, universal human needs. And now in the process of them trying to get their need to communicate and connect met, what they've been met with is an attack back 
on their personhood, what Marshall Rosenberg called a moral judgment. Either you're bad or you're doing something wrong. And Marshall identified that experience as a violent experience. So violence isn't even emotional violence, much less physical violence. It's it's a moral judgment. And what Marshall said is that judgments are just badly worded expressions of a desire to get a need met. And so one of the things I teach my couples is how to listen to a judgment, recognize that, as Marshall said, there's no information about the person being judged in a judgment. They're just trying to get their beautiful needs met. But the person speaking the judgment is is expressing a desire to get a need met, which the current situation is not satisfying. And you want to be able to use the judgment through empathetic listening, listening for feelings and needs to help the speaker identify what it is that they are needing. Because if you communicate your need as a judgment, your partner doesn't hear a need. They just hear an attack. And there's the beginning of conflict mm. instead of satisfaction. Yeah, great. So, and then I'm curious, that act of transforming a judgment into a need uh, what's one way of doing that? Yeah, this is a really fun thing that I discovered in working with couples because I have the person they're being judged right there and I witness judgment over and over and over again, particularly in my first sessions. And it turns out that the reason, the question I asked was, why do sometimes we just ask for what we want? And why do sometimes we communicate our needs as judgments? And so I watched that in my own relationship and I watched it in my couples at the beginning of our practice. And what I noticed is there are certain needs that have a particular emotional valence to them. They turn out to be needs that consistently went unmet during our childhood and our earlier relationships. And because we kept asking for them, because when we're little, we just assume that all of our needs are going to be instantly met. And some subset of our needs consistently go unmet. We start to come up with the conclusion that some of our needs are forbidden to us, either because they're bad needs. There's like some church processes that believe, that say that certain of our needs are sinful, or there's something wrong with me. And for some reason, nobody wants to meet this need in me. So I guess this need is forbidden. And we try to live without that need. But the truth is our psyche wants us to have the full range of these beautiful universal human needs. And so when a situation arises where one of these forbidden needs is wanting to be expressed, the problem is where it's forbidden to be expressed because every time we've asked when we were little, the answer was no. And so we're in kind of a bind. And what the psyche does is it reverses the content of the need and communicates the opposite of what it is we want. So how many times have you seen someone in a fight with somebody they really care about say, I never want to see you again? You know that's not true. Right. Of course, they do want to see you again. They just <laughs> can't figure out how to get their needs met. And so they're actually saying, I do want to see you. I just don't know how to get my needs met with you. And so the, the easiest way 
to identify what it is that your partner is needing, in particular, these very powerful forbidden needs, is it's the opposite of the content of the judgment. So you have to duck the judgment yourself with the understanding that there's no information about you in the judgment and then try the reverse. So if the person says you're a cold person, what is it that they're wanting? Warmth. I need warmth, yeah. Yeah. And uh, if they say that, that they don't want to touch you, what is it they're wanting? They're wanting to be held. And it goes on and on. Now, the psyche is very complex, as you know, and it can construct some very artful reverses. And so there's, there is art to, to identifying what the reverse of a judgment is. But pretty much any guess you make that's the opposite of what the person is saying is going to reverse the direction from conflict into connection. Yeah, um, I experimented with this because uh, I was reading some of your your book when Chloe, my partner, and actually when this episode airs, she will she will finally be my wife because we're getting married in less than a month now. Well, mazel tov. Thank you very much. Um, so we were we were practicing and and visiting ways that we've judged each other, which you know could have been really painful, right? But um, it was really interesting for us to, I'm trying to think one of them was, um, and I hope Chloe doesn't mind my mentioning this, but she had this judgment about how I put the kids to bed at night. And, and it was something like you should something, you know, I don't even remember exactly what it was, but you should blah, blah with the kids at night. And that is typically how the, the words would come out in the past. Um, and then we're like, well, how does that work? Cause it's not a, it's like, how do I, what's my need there? What we arrived at was that her need was actually a need for connection with me. Um, but I'm curious to hear your take on that because maybe we missed a nuance in the artistry of converting judgment into need, but, um, yeah, well, that's a that's a beautiful need, and it's often the one in relationship which is trying to get met in various ways. You know, Marshall said that there's only one curse word in NVC, and that's should. Um, that expecting the other person to behave in a particular way limits their ability to be truly who they are. And co-parenting is a really interesting and challenging process for couples because nobody really knows how to do it but we were each of us were raised in some particular way which either worked for us in some ways and or didn't work for us in others but created patterns in us and so um no understanding what it was she feels when she's watching you do what it is that you do is a great way to touch into what it is that she needs. Now, another step that I've added into Marshall's process, he had kind of a four-step process, uh, noticing what's going on, which he called observation, seeing what it is that you feel, which he called feelings, identifying the need, and then making a request of the other person. And the problem I had with especially that last step is I'm trying to get couples away from 
glomming their attention onto the other person and what they're doing wrong because that ends up bringing up our forbidden needs in the form of a judgment. And so once you identify what it is that you're feeling, what I do with clients is I ask them to breathe into those feelings. Notice where the sensations are without bothering to identify them with words. Breathe into them to make them as big as they possibly can. And essentially identify what is alive in them. That was a word that Marshall used a lot. Notice what's alive in you. So we're not talking about a particular word, but sensations, heaviness, lightness, excitement, depression, whatever. And then the question that Marshall didn't ask that I like adding into the process is, what is, what is that sensation? What are these needs inside of you? want from you. So heart that has a desire for whatever these feelings are, what is it that it's asking of yourself? And the answer that comes out of that question is unbelievably powerful. Because much of most of the needs that we have, we can actually satisfy on our own. And what people have a tendency to do when they get in relationship is offload the responsibility of their needs onto the other person, which is a setup for being disappointed. And so I'd be curious what it is that she's wanting from herself in being both a partner to you as you parent and a co-parent with you in relationship to the children. And the answer to that question will bring up a lot of beautiful information about what it is that she's really desiring. And some of it you may be interested in helping to satisfy. And some of it may just be about what's going on for her. And again, we'll create a sense of intimacy with the two of you as she shares what's truly going on inside of her. Hmm. Yeah, that's making me want to go get her, but she's <laughs> she has something else that she's doing right now. We'll we'll revisit this and maybe I'll I'll add it on at the end of the interview. I'll be able to be like, "Surprise, this is what Chloe said." <laughs> um yeah, the one thing that was that was particularly uh impactful when we were having this conversation was that when she got to a statement of I really need connection and for her in that yeah. moment it was like i really need to connect with you um yeah. there was like such a softness and tenderness mm -hmm. that came with that where it felt like at least one of the deeper truths around this situation undoubtedly there is some stuff around co-parenting and and all of that um yeah. But it was it was profound, you know, how how that her finding that need underneath the um, you should blah, 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 um, yeah. was actually really powerful and connecting for her just to speak that. Yeah. And you've identified one of the ways that you can tell when you're at the need based level. 
Um, when we were in mediation school, they didn't teach us needs. We added NVC into our mediation practice later when we started practicing with couples. But even in mediation school, they used to say, at some point in a mediation, when you've gotten it right, it feels like the room changes. Mm. The quality of the light becomes softer. People's voices become softer. Um, that sense of love and loving kindness shows up at the, because that's what needs are. They're about love and loving kindness. I just had a session this morning. This, this was the sixth session I did with the couple. Um, they, when they came in the first session, they were so angry at each other. And just everything out of their mouth was a judgment. What I call trench warfare, when couples call each other names constantly and judge each other and don't think anything of it. And that was that was about eight weeks ago. And this morning the beginning of the sixth session, I asked them, so how has it been over the last two weeks since our last session? And she said, it's been all about kindness. Mm. It's been so sweet. And that's that same sensation that you got in that one exchange. And I live that in my relationship with my wife. It's like there are just no hard edges because the idea that anyone is doing anything wrong or in any way being bad is just banished from the arena of communication. Inside of a container of NVC is what I call this field of non-judgment. And it's such a sweet place to live where anything that you say lands in this field of non-judgment so that the other person just accepts it into their heart with excited curiosity about what this, what the beautiful need is going on inside of you. Even if the form you chose to communicate it makes it hard to tell, when you really understand embodied NVC and use it in your relationship, it just looks like the only thing going on here is needs, needs, needs. And it turns out that that's true. And the fact that they're life-affirming and beautiful and the source of all human satisfaction, that's really where you want your attention to be. Yeah. Um, Jeff Zeig on the show recently talked about this term that he coined called topaya, which is how he describes love. And topaya stands for taking obvious pleasure in another's happiness. And I thought of that when I was reading in your book about that feeling of having your needs in the open, like knowing for you exactly what your needs are and and having the trust with your partner that, that you're going to hear what their actual needs are. And then the pleasure that you take, not only in seeing those needs met, seeing your partner meet their needs and having your own needs met, but as you show up for each other, um, that that becomes a way of amplifying that kind of pleasure in your relationship. Absolutely. You know, the last chapter in my book, which I'm just about finishing, is what I call mature relating. The, the skills that I teach are really great for stopping the violence and for turning judgments into intimate connections, for bringing what I call the vicious cycle, slowing it down and slowing it down until it stops, and then beginning the beneficial cycle where 
when you share what it is that's true about you, it, it gives your partner the freedom and safety to share what's true about them, which gives you more safety, which creates more and more. And the, the beneficial cycle begins to go in the other direction. And what I realized as I was trying to write about the experience of mature relating, where there is, there, there's just no question about anybody doing anything wrong or bad, is there are really no role models out in the culture for what it looks like to do this kind of relating. It's like the closest they come is at the last scene, they say, and they lived happily ever after. Because it's like the culture doesn't know what that looks like. And I've been living it now for about 15 years with my wife and seeing couples emerge into that place. And many of the couples who do that work with me continue to sort of check in with me every few months or once or twice a year because the cultural paradigm is so violent and so about conflict that it's hard to keep doing this. this to have a mature relationship is actually countercultural. Mm. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious for you if you can talk about because this I thought was so insightful. Um, at the beginning of your book, you mention how our forbidden needs often bring us into relationship with our partners, and yeah. that trans that three stages of relationship where. Your needs go from being forbidden to the cause of conflict um, and to actually being out in the open and no longer forbidden. But can you talk about that initial dynamic of what is it in your view that is bringing people together? Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm a hypnotist and an NLP neuro-linguistic programmer as well as a marriage mediator. And I needed to do that because turns out that needs and feelings are not conscious things. They're unconscious things. And so discovering how the unconscious motivates us seemed like it was an absolute necessary piece of understanding how to do relationship. And what I've come to understand is that we already talked about how forbidden needs get formed in mm -hmm. your childhood by needs consistently going unmet. So your conscious mind goes, okay, so I can't have that no problem. I'll do without it. So let's say I, I was raised in the 50s as a male. So I was essentially told feelings are not allowed for you. If you express feelings, we're going to beat the crap out of you in elementary school until you get it that you're not supposed to have feelings. And I go, fine, I'm smart. Computers came online. I don't need them. I don't need feelings. And I would have been fine. I thought my conscious mind thought. Then you get to a place where you're wanting to f find a life's partner and you make up some kind of conscious list. You should be Jewish and blonde and have a PhD or whatever it is. But it turns out, especially if you've had a bunch of friends that you got went through high school and college with, that that's not who people end up connecting with. Who they, f I mean, of all the people that they date, who do they end up picking or what kind of person do they keep picking over and over again? And you know what the culture tells us? Opposites attract. And what I would say that is the psyche is not part of the bargain that it's okay to live without this other half or whatever for easy numbers. Let's call it half of the universal human needs. 
what it does is it goes and finds someone who's so good at meeting those needs that you don't even have to ask. Because remember, you can't ask. It's forbidden. And so the kind of person I was attracted to were people who women who were really good at expressing feelings and loved it when I expressed my feelings and made it incredibly easy to have feelings present without my having to really talk about feelings because it was forbidden. And so what I believe is that our forbidden needs are the ones who pick our spouse. They pick a person who's good at the things, the needs that we can't get met on our own. And the infatuation period is that time when your needs, your forbidden needs are being flooded, which is such a satisfying experience. These needs have gone unsatisfied for decades. And now suddenly, every time you're with this person, those needs in particular are completely being met without your even having to say anything. Why would you want to be anywhere else in the world? And a love match, in my theory, is this amazing mathematical combination of your strengths match up with their forbidden needs and their strengths match up with your forbidden needs. And the whole time the infatuation period is going on, without either of you having to ask, you're getting the full spectrum of your needs met. And that's an experience of the fullness of human life. So yeah, one thing that was really interesting for us was looking at the beginning of our relationship and how we lit each other up as a way of trying to see into what our forbidden needs might be. Is that something that you recommend? Yes, that's a beautiful ex expression of this truth and doing it in that positive way. The problem is that the next step is because it's so effortless that part of the love relationship we invite that person into our life with the expectation that okay well my other relationships were tough but this one is effortless and so it's going to continue to be effortless but the thing that you're not noticing or that most of us don't notice is that we're inviting somebody into our life who's incredibly different than us and we've actually never communicated with them about the things that are hard for us and the things that are hard for them because we didn't have to when we were apart. And so relationship is really about difference. And we kind of gloss that over when we're getting our needs met. But it's essential for people to understand that the core value of relationship is difference that the reason we want to be in relationship with these people ultimately is because they have the difference that we need. And what happens when you move in with them and then you, you suddenly find it's actually kind of difficult to live with somebody who's so different than you are. And we begin a process, which is the second stage of relationship, which should be discovering each other's differences and learning how to get the benefit of them but this culture doesn't treat difference that way. Witness ye the theater piece that happened last November that they're calling a presidential election was essentially from my perspective as a needs-based mediator, a demonstration of how 
we don't deal how we deal with difference in this culture we basically deal with it with violence and that so suddenly this difference that as you say brought up this aliveness in you when you after you move in together has the potential for creating unending conflict if you don't understand how to get the benefit of that difference and what we begin to do is a process of trying to change that person into being more like we are so that it will be easier to live with them, which would be a terrible thing if you succeeded because first of all, you need that difference. And second of all, if both of you succeeded, you would just switch places. <laughs> you know, there was a Seinfeld episode where he goes out on a date with a woman and she orders cold cereal in a restaurant for dinner. And he's like the only person in the world who does that. And the next morning he says to his best friend, George, I finally found what it's looking, I've been looking for all along. It's me. And by the end of the week, they don't even bother breaking up. They're so bored with each other. That isn't who you're looking for. You have you. Relationships are too much work to bring another you in. What you need is the other. You need the opposite. But you need to learn how to get the benefit of the opposite. And so when couples come into me, I think when they go into couples therapy and when they come into me, they're caught in the struggle of misunderstood difference. And that's my definition of conflict. Conflict is just misunderstood difference. Difference is a good thing. Misunderstanding anything is a bad thing. And so having misunderstood difference creates conflict. But see, it makes my job really easy because I know that it's very likely that they pick the right person. And the fact that they're in conflict is a good thing. It shows that they really are different than each other. And I'm a mediator. I know how to deal with difference. So by helping each person drop down into the needs that their conflict is blocking through the violent expression of and have them actually say the beauty of the needs that they're trying to get met, the conflict evaporates. And the thing that was there all along, which is their beautiful partner, who's a mathematical match for all of their needs, is sitting there again, delighted to be meeting their needs once they say, them in what they're actually needing instead of saying the opposite in violent language. Mm. Yeah, and there's that beautiful aspect of it as well where since you picked that person and you write about this, since you picked that person based on their ability to meet those needs of yours back before the storm happened, then it's right. actually in all likelihood a gift of theirs to meet those very needs that you're able to express. Absolutely. And you, see, you understand that what's going on is you're sitting, they're sitting on a couch. The, the person sitting on the couch there not only loves you, adores you, and can gift you the way that you experienced during the infatuation period, which I consider God's gift to let us try before we buy. It's like that infatuation period isn't just a generic thing. It's what it would feel like to actually be in mature relationship with this particular person. So not only are they sitting there waiting, loving you, but as soon as you actually tell them the thing that you want, you know, what I'm really wanting is physical 
contact. I'm really just missing being held to the person who loves holding. They, they are so delighted to be invited in to do the thing they love doing. But the person who's afraid of asking for it because it's forbidden believes, and I had this happen in a session just yesterday, this guy, they've been married, this couple have been married 23 years. And the thing he most wanted to say, he looked at me because it was like the, the next thing to say in the process. He looked at me and he said, I know what I want to say, but I know when I say it, she'll never love me again. And that's what it feels like when you mm. confront the despair of a forbidden need. And I said to him, you know what? I have a sneaking suspicion that you're going to be surprised by her response. So he said it, and she threw her arms around him and began kissing him because he asked her for the thing she'd been dying to do for the last eight years that they've been fighting. She finally got wow. permission to do it. Wow. What is your experience with couples, especially when they come into you and they're really angry? And so, um, and maybe you'd even hear, I mean, one thing we talk about a lot on the show are conflicts around sex, let's, let's say. And, you know, so one partner comes in and says, I need... Um, I need to have sex more with you. Um, right. And the other partner says, well, that's great. You know, I'm not like, I need you to leave me alone. <laughs> like, so there's, you know, there's their version of their conflict. Um, so I'm curious to know how you would distill that into needs. And even if like, maybe the additional note of like one person just really being pissed off and like, well, I don't, I don't want to meet your needs. You know, I'm, I'm angry at you or it's, you know, I've been hurt for too long or that sort of thing. Right. So there's, there's two, there's a bunch of really interesting questions in there. Great. Let me answer the anger one first. When a need goes unsatisfied, one of the overall the sensations that we have are going to be unique to whatever the need is. But one of the things that Marshall said is that the, these sensations organize themselves into what he called emotional energy. And that kind of organizes all the individual sensations into a kind of a composite body energy. And most of the time, part, at least one of the colors of that energy is going to be frustration if a need is not getting met. You know, it's frustrating not to have your needs satisfied. Mm -hmm. Now, if you leave frustration alone and consistently go through the same experience over time, that frustration pickles into anger. Mm. And if you add more time, it pickles into rage. And the explanation that we give in this culture to people who feel angry or rageful is that the stronger they feel, the worse the transgression must have been from the other person. But what I say is, and I say this to my clients who are angry, anger is just frustration plus time. If you had talked about your frustration the moment it showed up as a subtle body sensation, you would have gotten your needs met and you wouldn't have gotten angry. 
So the fact that you're angry now doesn't mean your partner did something worse. It means you didn't communicate your responsibility about your needs. How are we on the outside supposed to know what is you need unless you communicate it? Mm. And so anger doesn't implicate the other person. In my model, anger implicates you as having not taken responsibility to communicate what's important to you. And so what I do is I help them communicate it. It turns out, of course, their partner's delighted to meet that need. And we don't get to talk about anger anymore at all. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And that, that makes total sense to me as to, you know, how it's, it's kind of working around the problem and going straight for going straight for the anger instead of feeling like somehow an angry person has to become a loving person. Right. Yeah. I mean, Marshall says other people don't cause our feelings. It's hard to believe when you first take it on, but the truth is going to the root source of what the energy is that you're trying to manifest, what your truth is, what is it your heart desires, which is always positive, gets rid of all of the problem of dealing with all the story and all the history and all of the histrionics. We get to go just right to the source each time. And it's why I, I can do this process in six weeks. I don't spend a lot of time dealing with story or history. We just go right for what's in the room right now. Yeah, so a hint from you would be great on how to get out of your story. Like, let's say you're in judgment or your partner's coming at you in judgment. Yeah, remember, judgments are tragic expressions of unmet needs. So Mm -hmm. if I'm the one in judgment and I hear myself judging, or if my partner says to me, well, that's a judgment, I go, okay, so what's the need underneath that judgment? I don't know. What's the opposite of what I just said? Let me see if that feels right. Well, it's not It's not exactly that. It's this. Oh, I get what it is. And then you share that. If your partner's judging you, you duck the judgment because it's not about you. You, tr- you listen for what the p- opposite of that may be, and you make a feeling and needs guess. For some reason, people don't like to be told what they're feeling, especially when they're upset. It's like universally, so you're angry, (laughs) gets back. This isn't angry. You want to hear anger? (laughs) But so what I instruct my clients to do is make a feeling guess, which sounds like, so I'm wondering if you're feeling angry about that. Um, Or for people who really don't like um, to have feelings associated with them, I'll use my own body and I'll say something like, Wow, if that had happened to me, I would feel angry. Does that have any resonance for you? Mm. Um, so, so that gives either of those two ways, give the other person a chance to look behind their eyes, down into their body, and bam, once I've got them in their body, they're out of the story, they're out of the judgment, and they're hunting around right where I want them to be, right where the truffles live, down in the dark <laughs> underneath the leaves. And, and that's, that's our goal is through empathy is to get the person out of the past and out of the future into the present moment, out of the story and out of the judgments into their body, which is why I call this embodied NVC. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I love, I mean, that's something that I've seen with my clients as well that, um, and you mentioned this, that there's 
a potential for them to experience getting in their head and trying to trying to even name feelings as an act of violence versus just getting into their sensation and sort of comparing notes on what they're sensing in their bodies with each other. Yeah, and and a well-formed feeling name can be useful. It can help you understand what's going on with you. It can help you communicate to the other person what's going on with you. But you have moved to a new venue. And that concerns me because the body, feelings live in the body, sensations live in the body, emotional energy is an embodied experience. And needs are a junction box inside our body to some universal wisdom, which is really what we're trying to get at. And this is one of the reasons I love Marshall's work and prefer it to a therapeutic model because, you know, we did, I did this in the prison for two and a half years. We went in and taught NVC to prisoners and I had people who had no self-reflection, lived in such violence that it was dangerous not to be paying attention to the outside world and didn't have any therapeutic knowledge at all. And when they did this process, and touched into what it was that they were needing, what came up out of them, particularly in answer to the question, heart that desires that freedom or whatever the need was, what is it that it wants from you? What would come out of them was unbelievable poetry and incredibly deep wisdom and truth. And for some of those people, they came to believe that needs were a junction box to God because that was their belief system. And for some people, it's just a junction box to some kind of universal wisdom, like the onosphere or something. And for some people, it's a connection into their own wisdom. And I don't know which of those it is, but whatever it is, I notice that when I do this well with people, the wisdom that comes out of them is greater wisdom and better information than their best thinking ever would have been. Mm. And so to give people the gift that they're carrying around a junction box to greater wisdom than anything that their own mind can come up with is an incredible gift to give people to know that they're carrying this around with them everywhere that they go. Mm. Well, you're giving me a great idea for how to end the show. But before we do, before we go there, I'm curious if you could also just talk for a moment about strategies versus needs, because that feels like an important distinction for us to, to speak to today. Yeah, yeah. So especially people who are in their heads, but really everybody in this culture is very do-oriented and figure-it-out-oriented. I mean, I was a computer programmer. I, it's really fun to find solutions. And most couples, when they're in conflict, of course they don't want to be, and so they keep coming up with strategies, ideas for what would fix this. But, if, but strategies only exist in my model to satisfy needs. And so you can come up with a really, really good strategy. And if it doesn't meet your partner's needs, it's useless. In my book, the illustration that I have for this is a couple standing back to back 
each throwing darts in opposite directions. And you can see in the back of the picture, the dartboard is actually on a completely different wall. <laughs> and that's what most conflict is like. Like throwing a really perfect dart throw to the wrong wall is going to be useless. Mm. And so I keep couples from talking strategy until all the needs are out on the table. Because if you leave a single need off the table and someone suggests a strategy which doesn't satisfy that need, that creates conflict. The mm. other person's need to be seen and understood is not met by them even offering that. So it's important not to go to strategy before you understand the needs that are present. However, needs, needs are incredibly flexible, by the way. There are a thousand strategies that will meet any need. And so that's another reason needs are a great currency to use in relationship. Because a strategy is digital. If I say I want to go out for pizza, there's only two answers, yes or no. If I say I have a need for nourishment, there's a thousand possibilities for what we could do. And so starting with strategy starts with flexibility. You get both hearts and minds aware of all of the beautiful needs that are present. And as I said in the beginning, it's my experience that two people with open hearts and open minds presented with even an incredibly complex set of needs, which can happen in relationship, especially if you're co-parenting, the strategies which show up in, in both people's hearts and minds are often not anything you would have thought of without having an awareness of everything which is present and is an amazing co-creative process that creates a third thing that neither one of you would have come up with on your own, which is why it's better to be in relationship. Mm. It's the co-creative process what I call my work teamwork mediation. It's working together as a team. And teams need people who have differences so you get that benefit. If you had a, if you had a football team that had 12 of the best quarterbacks and those were the only <laughs> players, they wouldn't win a single game, right? right? You need somebody who's good at blocking and you need somebody who's good at catching and you need somebody who's good at running. And in a relationship, it's the same way. All the things that you're good at, mazel tov, bring them fully into your relationship. But also, you need the needs of your partner. So what I, have, what I discovered six years ago or realized is I was thinking that my needs are great and my wife needs are kind of a pain in the ass, but they were in the beginning. But as I got better and better at understanding them and meeting them, I, be I began to understand that they were satisf it was satisfying for me to help meet my partner's needs. Marshall says that, that we're hardwired to enjoy meeting each other's needs. And so six years ago, I had married my wife 12 years ago, but six years ago, I married her needs because they are mine now and they mm. double my opportunity for satisfaction. And that's the way to think about your partner's needs. Love is not a zero-sum game. If your partner gets their needs met, that doesn't mean there's less for you to get your needs met. It means there's more because you're now in relationship with a satisfied person. 
Yeah. And they're much more likely to be interested in satisfying your needs. One quick point of clarification. How, how do you know when all the needs are on the table? That's a great question. Well, one of the ways is um, you get that feeling in the room that there's truth present. The process that I teach couples is another way. Um, couples have a tendency to try to do negotiation as a dialogue, and that doesn't work very well because the first person gets out a part of one of their needs and the other person responds to a part of one of theirs and neither party feels satisfied. So my recommendation when you're doing a needs-based negotiation is you pick the person whose turn it is and you give them a whole turn, which means they describe everything they possibly can about what's true for them. And you let them know that what you understood of what they said and you say, did I get it? And they say yes or no and they keep going until you say, okay, did I get it? And they say yes. And then you say, is there more? And you do what my wife and I call in our process together listening them down to silence. Mm. So at some point you say to them, okay, so I got it. Is there anything else you want to tell me? And they kind of search around in their body and they look up at you and they say, no, that's it. That's how you know you've got all their needs on the table. And then maybe you take your turn or maybe you say, you know what? I want to sit and digest that. So why don't we talk about this some more after dinner and Maybe I can take a turn. Mm. Great. Yeah, I love that. Listening down to silence. It sounds so peaceful. And yeah. I can imagine, you know, there is, I see this all the time, there's a satisfaction that comes out of, one, being asked, is there more? I think that that really helps the person being asked feel like they're being heard and like their partner is curious and actually cares. And hopefully that's true. And, and on top of that, there is that satisfaction of like, no, actually there isn't anymore. Like you got it all. You gave, thank you for that opportunity to like be yeah. a, in full expression of who I am in this moment. Yeah. And in mediation school, they call that excited curiosity. And, you know, that's what we do when we date. This new person sits down opposite you and you're like, wow, who are you? And needs are constantly changing. So you don't know who your partner is. You don't even know who you are, right? If I were to ask you, what are you needing right now? You would have to go look. So this dispels the misunderstanding that you can know your partner so well that you don't have to ask anymore. The great thing about needs is they make it clear that you need to stay curious and stay excited, positively excited about what the beauty that they're bringing, the beautiful needs that they're bringing into this field of non-judgment with you. And if you understand that their satisfaction will bring satisfaction to you, it's such a fun game to play. Yeah, that makes total sense to me and and how you know, since those needs are constantly emerging and re-emerging, um, that would definitely keep things from getting boring, you know, in your relationship, if that's what you're paying attention to, rather than just like, well, I know my partner likes French 
um, cuisine. And I know my partner, like where it just becomes a list of facts about your partner. Um, it's right. a much more exciting exploration to be in. And remember, because this is something that goes on inside of you, when you share it or when you ask to, it to be shared, you're creating instant intimacy. And so in those moments in t the 23rd year of your marriage, if you look up at your partner and you go, uh-oh, we're becoming one of those couples that sit in the restaurant and don't talk to each other. What can I do about that? You know what you can do about it. You get curious about what it is that they're feeling and needing right now in this moment. And it creates in instant intimacy. When Elise yes. and I were in long distance relationship in the beginning of our relationship, we did that at the beginning. We would sit for 15 minutes and just ask each other, so what's going on for you? What is it that your heart desires? And at the end of 15 minutes, after not being together for a week or two, we felt instantly deeply connected to each other. Mm. Perfect. So um, that is, I think, a great way for you to take us out today. Um, before we do, Max, how can people find out more about you and your work and your book, which if it's not already out, it will be out momentarily? Yeah, so my website is themarriagemediator.net, themarriagemediator.net. And you can see videos there of couples right before they do their first session and right after and couples and students talking about the impact that this has had on their life. There's a big yellow button that you can make an appointment with me. I do about 80% of my practice at this point over Skype. I have clients all over the country. I did my first uh, international mediation a couple of days ago. And um, there's there's you can so you can make your own appointment there. You can learn everything you need to know on themarriagemediator.net. Great. And we will have a link to that in the show notes as a reminder. You can get those by going to neilsatin.com slash rivers. Or you can text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions, and I will send you a link to download the show notes for this episode and all of our other episodes. And Max, your book, it, at this point, it looks like the title is Tired of Having the Same Old Argument, which I love. Is that still the working title of your book? Um, it's the working title, but... My editor says that I shouldn't try to title it until we've written the whole book so we know what, what it is we're titling. But it, right. whatever it is, it'll be accessible through my website. Great. And we'll make sure we let people know, too, when, you're, when your book's ready to launch. I appreciate that. Yeah, sure thing. Um, I mean, your work is so valuable, and I love the, the way that you're coming at building teams in within a relationship and getting people on the same page. We, we've had um, Sheila Heen from the Harvard Negotiation Project on the show and Erica Fox, who's also involved with that with them. So I'm a, I'm a strong believer in bringing actual like mediation and how do you how do you get to the other side of no or conflict with your partner? And your way seems so um, intrinsically connecting uh, that I think yeah. it's uh, really beautiful for, for couples to learn and, uh, and also for people who are bringing that just to their relationships wherever they be. Um, yeah, I, lo 
I love to say in the first session, couples are real pissed at each other. And I say to them, you might want to record this session because we're going to be having a lot of fun. And they look <laughs> at me like I'm crazy. And it is, it is a lot of fun to get out of conflict and get to the beautiful needs that are just right below the surface. Yeah. Plus, what a relief. What a relief. So with that, I'm wondering if you could just, I I want you listening to have an experience of answering that question of what is it that your heart desires of you right now. So Max, maybe if you could just guide us through that, the quickest of processes to get at, like, what do we need right now? And what is it that our heart's asking of us? Do you want me to describe the process? Imagine that you are guiding me in this moment to have that experience. And because I want, I want to leave our listeners with that question for them right in this moment. Okay. So a great place to start in order to get centered is to take a few breaths. So they rel- just relax and take a few deep breaths breaths. The breath is one of the few autonomic functions we have that you can also control with your mind. And so it's one of the ways of connecting your conscious mind with your embodied experience. And then just allow your attention to move into your body without any judgment or any expectation. And just notice what sensations what your experience is, where you are right now. You may be looking for things that feel heavy or light or cool or warm. Maybe some difference from one side of your body to the other. Or even some movement, some energy moving up your spine. And see if... You can breathe into the, those parts of your body and make that experience a little larger. And let that be something which is alive inside of you. And imagine that it has some deep desire for you. That it is positive in its intention, that it, it wants to affirm your life and manifest exactly what it is that you're wanting. And it knows precisely what it is that you desire. And see if you can get the message from it, what it is that it desires for you in this moment. And what it is that it's asking of you so that you may have that. Add some breath into that question. And then see what arises to say. And if you come up with something which feels true, which has a beauty to it, and it's something that you haven't shared with your partner, take a risk and share that with your partner, just as something which is alive in you. Share it with the intention 
of them seeing what's true about you. And imagine that they're delighted to know about what's true about you because you are their true love. And every bit of truth that they find out about you is more for them to love. Thank you so much, Max, for that process. And when you've gone through it, feel free to, to drop me a line and let me know what you discovered. If you feel comfortable with that, you can reach me at Neilius, N-E-I-L-I-U-S, at neilsatin.com, or you can join the conversation in the Relationship Alive community on Facebook. Thank you so much, Max Rivers. It's been so great to have you here on the show. Really appreciate your contribution. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.